In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God created, and he created, and with every creation, he called it good. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock. Let them have dominion over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created and he created, and with everything he created, he said it was good. That's how our story started, in the garden, in paradise, in that perfect shalom. But something happened. We thought we saw something better, and suddenly the shalom was shattered. And brother fought brother, people fought people, and to walk with God was no longer a priority we looked at the beginning. Because in order to piece it all together, we have to know where it all began. And we have to know how it all fell apart to understand how God is going to piece it all together. Because he is in the business of piecing it all together. So today, we jump into part two of Puzzled to see just how the rest of our story unfolds. The fall. Everything the way God intended it to be, the Garden of Eden. Perfect shalom, but one act of disobedience shatters it. It's fractured. It's broken. And as soon as God expels Adam and Eve out of the garden, violence and wickedness just escalate within God's story. You see it pick up. All of a sudden, brother and brother, there's a murder scene it wasn't the way God intended it. God told Adam in the garden, don't disobey me. Because as soon as you allow sin into my story, sin and death are linked. You will experience death both physically and spiritually. And murder happens. And then all of a sudden, we jump into Genesis and you see this picture of a flood happening. In fact, in the ancient world, ancient religions, they all have flood stories. Every single one has a flood story. But the difference between this God of the Bible, who we worship, and the other gods, is that this God doesn't destroy everything. The other gods that, of the religions, when they unleash their wrath on humanity as an act of punishment, they wipe out everything and they're happy. But this God does something different with the flood. See, evil has escalated so much that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, this is what God says, for I, what friends? 
regret that I've made them. Everything I had, I gave them free will and they're, they're introducing sin and death into my story. And I regret making them. So as an act, God sends a flood. But we find in the next, uh, the next verse, it says, But Noah found what, friends? Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There was one person amongst everyone, because Noah was a righteous man, that God found favor and says, it's through you, I'm going to keep your family alive, and I am going to start over. I need to reset all this evilness in the world. So he uses Noah, sends a flood for 40 days and 40 nights, and you know the story of Noah and the... Ark, you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to know that. Everyone knows Noah in the ark. But he saves one family, Noah, because of their righteousness. And he tells Noah, after the waters recede, you got to repopulate the earth. I'm starting over. And then you get into Genesis chapter 11, and the wickedness is still there within humanity. In fact, you get to a scene called the Tower of Babel. Crazy thing, but I want to read to you. It's not on the screen. In Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, the people are still multiplying. There's still wickedness and evil in the world. The flood has happened, and all of a sudden, you have these people who have created a new technology in the ancient world. Listen to Genesis chapter 11, verse 3. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. It's a complete new technology in their world. They built everything with stones, and now all of a sudden, civilization, humanity has created a brand new way of building things. It's now brick and tar, brick and mortar. And all of a sudden, they say to each other, let's build this tower to reach the heavens, right? Because we're going to be godlike. And God looks down upon that and says, hey, if they accomplish this, nothing will be impossible for them. So God comes down and confuses their languages. There were one language, and then they start speaking in multiple languages. And all of a sudden, they can't communicate with each other anymore, and the Tower of Babel goes away. But what's so awesome is everything and all the wickedness through Genesis chapter 3 to 11, everything changes in Genesis chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, if you have your tablet or phone, will you turn with me to Genesis chapter 12? The first book in the Bible, it should be the easiest book to find. Genesis means the what? What do you think? The beginning. Good job. The beginning. Genesis chapter 12. And I got to set up the story. We're only going to get through verse, uh, chapter 15 this morning. You're like, Ryan, you're supposed to put the Bible together in six weeks, and two of them are only through Genesis chapter 15. Yeah, we got to understand these two. These, through Genesis 1 through Genesis 15, you have to understand to set up everything what God's doing. We got to get this. And this is going to be the story of a guy by the name of Abram. So I'm gonna, we're going to go through a lot of things together. Journey with me, if you will, but turn to someone next to you and say, giddy up. Because that's what's going to happen this morning, all right? And for those of you that say, I don't repeat what the pastor says, just say it to yourself, giddy up, all right? 
Here's what's so interesting. We're going to look at the life of Abraham. Here's what's awesome about Abraham. His, it, we're going to call him Abram because God eventually changes his name to Abraham. But right now in our story, he's Abram. And what's going to happen is we know, if you grew up in church, you know the father of our, of our faith is father who? Father Abraham had many. Many sons had See, an old classic, but goody, right? We know that one, right? Yeah, that was your kid, Abe, yep. And so if you grew up in the church, it was that song. But here's the thing. I think for many believers, we don't even know his story. We know more celebrities' story and about their life than we do the own father of our faith. This past week, I was reading an article on Billy Ray Cyrus, right? What song comes to mind right now? Yeah, you're going to have that stuck all service now, all right? Achy, breaky heart. A lot of you Michigan State fans and Notre Dame fans had that heart last night, huh? Ho, ho! That was good. That was good. That's not in my notes. That's good. But he was interviewed by a magazine, and he had a daughter by the name of Miley Cyrus who grew up in the Disney Channel and had her own hit show as a young girl called Hannah Montana. After leaving Disney, she did some crazy things in life, started doing drugs, left her faith, and uh, here she's trying to get it back in order right now. Praise God for that. But he was asked, what was the breaking point with your daughter? And the way he responded to the magazine, he said, if I had to do it all over again, I would have never let my daughter go to Disney in the first place. He said, I am so sad. Yet we know her story more than Abraham's story. So this morning, we're going to look at two parts of Abraham's story to understand what in the world is God doing? How is he going to redeem, restore, and renew everything that was broken in the garden? That shalom. Right? Last week we looked at shalom, shalom being wholeness, completeness, perfect well-being, how God intended it to be. So turn to someone and say, shalom. This is how God's plan is to get shalom back on earth. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 begins this way. The Lord had said to Abram, what's this first word? Go. It's one of the words in our faith all the time, is just go. Go. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And, what's that word there? And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, so much is happening in, the, in these first three verses we have to get. God is looking at Abram and saying, my plan to redeem everything that was lost in the garden is through you. And God doesn't just look at the broken pieces and he could put it all back together himself, everything that was lost in the garden. But God chooses to use humanity, to use Abram, one guy, to set the plan into place to do God's purpose of restoring and redeeming and renewing everything that was lost and broken in the garden. And we have to understand these three 
promises God makes in these three verses. So promise number one, I'm going to paraphrase this for you, is that God promises Abram that he will be a great what, friends? One more time, a great, a great nation. That through you, Abram, everyone's going to be blessed. You will be a great nation. So everything from Abram to Moses is setting up the people to be a great nation. But we have some tension and issue in the story. See, Abram, he's 75 years old, we're going to find out in a minute, when he gets these promises, but he has no kids. Last time I checked, in order to grow and build a nation, you need people. And Abram tells God, my wife's barren. And all of a sudden, the pressures of life are getting to Abram. How in the world is this going to happen? And the pressures of life are real in our own lives, are they not? We can let pressures get to us. And Abram, I imagine in this moment with God speaking to him, you're going to make a great nation. I wonder if Abram laughed a little bit. Like, <laughs> with who? I'm 75. Well, how is this going to work, God? Right? But promise number one, I will make you into a great nation. Promise number two is I'm going to give you a great what? It's going to be a great land. We know that as present-day Israel, that from Moses to Joshua to King David, there's a conquest of the land that they eventually make their way to present-day Israel, that piece of property, and we're going to get more into that in the weeks to come because it's awesome why God chose that place to put his people there. It's incredible. But great land. And eventually, if you know the whole biblical story, they will lose their faith and get exiled from the land God gives them because they cease to live without faith. They lose it. But God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a great land. And then the third, he says, you're going to be a blessing to all people. We can say it this way, that through you, Abraham, there will come a great what? Messiah. Through the lineage of Abraham, God is going to choose to work with people to put his place or put his plan and purpose for this world together. And he says, you, there will come a great Messiah. Jesus will come through the lineage of Abram. It's in the book of Matthew. You can read Matthew in the first book of the Newer Testament. Matthew chapter 1. If you were with us last December, we journeyed through that entire genealogy and looked at women in Jesus' genealogy. Women were never mentioned in genealogy. No offense, women. You were literally viewed as like property. You had no rights. That's why women flooded to Jesus because Jesus uplifted women's status in the world. Nothing. In Jesus' lineage, you have a prostitute, you have a woman who sleeps with her father-in-law. It's just, it gets ugly in Jesus' Jesus's lineage. But God says, I promise that the great Messiah, a blessing to all people, will come through you. Those are the three promises. we got to get it down. Great nation, great land, great Messiah. Let's say it together. Are you ready? Great nation, great land, great Messiah. It's the three promises that God will put into place to send his story, his plan of redemption, redeeming everything that's lost in the garden, the broken shalom that God created. Now here's where the story gets cool, right? You read Genesis 1 through 3 and you're like, 
God says a lot about blessing Abram. Like, who wouldn't want to live a blessed life, right? I imagine Abram's like, yeah, giddy up, I'm going, right? Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. It says this, so Abram what? Went. I don't see any hesitation there. Abram, you got to go. You are going to be a blessing. I'm going to get a great nation through you. I'm going to give you a Excuse me, I'm going to give you a great land, and a great Messiah is going to come through you. And Abram, he goes. And then this says, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And I think there's a key thing that's happening in this portion of Scripture. Abram only knew Haran. Everything over here, what Abram knew, was familiar. Familiar territory, his job, his family, everything he knew was inherent. And God says, I want you to go. And for some of us, how does that translate into our lives? As we follow Jesus, if you've put your faith and trust into him, there are things that you're going to have to let go and there are things that you're going to have to walk towards. And for Abram, you had to leave everything behind in order to do this. And for a lot of us, I think, especially in America, I think a lot of believers still like to carry some of these things with us and say, I still want to walk towards Jesus, but this is comfortable for me. I've always had this addiction, so I'm going to carry it with me, and I'm going to stuff it in a backpack and pretend I don't have it, but it's a comfort blanket as I walk towards Jesus. I want to ask you two questions. What do you need to walk away from? What do you need to walk away from? Because we cannot say we're following God, we're following Jesus, if we're still holding on to things of the past, still holding on to things in our lives that buckle us down, that don't allow us to live the life that Jesus has called to us. What do you need to walk away from? And my question then is this, what do you need to walk towards? I told you for many times, I used to suffer with anger a lot. I needed to walk away from my anger and walk towards a patience. And in the book of Galatians, and we'll get there eventually in this series, but Paul writes, there are things of the flesh, sexual immorality, greed, lust, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Leave that behind and follow the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. we got to leave the flesh to follow the Spirit. We get tripped up. It's familiar. It's comfortable. But Abram goes. What do you need to walk towards? And the pressure still mounts. Abram still doesn't have any kids. He's getting kind of upset. Anyone like waiting? Yeah, no one, <laughs> right? Any of you went to the Shipshawana light show thingy yesterday? They light it up downtown, Shipshawana with Christmas lights and everything. I was there and I got coffee. Surprise, surprise, I know. And uh, it was cold last night. And I, I went in to the shop and ordered coffee and waited 20, 30 minutes for coffee. Like, it's a cup of coffee. I mean, come on. I don't need to wait. But I was good because I was warm and watching football, right? It was good. It was good. 
And, but I'm like, come on, dude, I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting in lines. It takes forever. I don't like it. And for Abram, he's still waiting for these three promises at the age of 75 to come true in his life. He's waiting and waiting. And then turn with me to Genesis 15, because something strange is about ready to happen. Genesis 15. Verse 2, you got to see how Abram reacts to waiting in life. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? In our language, God, I'm tired of waiting. Can you show me something that your promises are going to come true? That a great nation will come through me. That we will have a great land and the great Messiah, your plan to redeem everything that was broken is going to come in place. you got to give me a sign. I'm tired of waiting. And God is going to do something that you read, you can glance over because you're sitting there going, that is weird. But i got to explain it. In Genesis 15 verse 9, we're also told that um, God gives Abram instructions. So he's like, all right, you want a sign? Go get a heifer. Go get a ram, go get a goat, go get a pigeon, and go get a dove. And then I want you to cut them in half, except the birds. And you're like, dude, that's, that's strange. We don't get that, right? But I have, we have to understand this. This is so awesome. Turn to someone and say, it's awesome. This is so awesome. And grab a drink of coffee real quick. Here we go. Okay, we have to understand this. What is about to take place is called the cutting ceremony. So here's a quick picture of what would happen during a cutting ceremony. This is a contract or a covenant made in the ancient world. You would take the animals and cut them in half and separate halves on either side. And imagine the amount of blood. This is fresh animal kill. I showed my kids this this picture last night, and they're like, Daddy, that's gross. I was like, can you imagine being there, walking through, animal carcasses in blood, right? This is the way they made a contract or a covenant, a deal with each other in the ancient world. It was called the cutting ceremony. It's kind of very similar to you go out to a car dealership and get a car and you make a contract with the bank. I will pay, and you both sign, I will pay the bank this amount of money every month for my car and the bank can say, hey, and if you don't, the car becomes ours. It's a contract. We just signed pieces of paper. Back in the ancient world, they walked through blood and animal carcasses. And here's what would happen. You have two parties here that will make a deal. The greater party sets the terms and the limits. The lesser party will agree to it. And once they agree to whatever it is, the animals are cut in half. There's the blood, the pool of blood. They will begin to pass through the pieces. And as they pass through, they say to one another, if I don't hold up my end of the agreement, may I become like the animals. They take it seriously. So do we get the cutting ceremony? Do we get the cutting ceremony? Now turn with me to chapter 15, verse 12. 
As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So Abraham kind of is like, he's knocked out on the side. He cut the animals up. The cutting ceremony is about to take place. The pool of blood is dripping. And for whatever reason, God knocks out Abram, right? And then God speaks to Abram while he's in this confusion. And in verse 17, this is so awesome. Verse 17, when the sun had set and the darkness has fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Wait, I thought two people have to pass through the pieces. Yep. But here, we only have a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch that passed through the pieces. Yep. It's what God is. He's the fire pot and a blazing torch that passes between the pieces as Abraham's to the side. You sit there and say, what is going on? I don't get it because I thought two parties have to pass. And in this story with Abraham and God, only one party is going through the pieces. Because what God is saying to Abram, you can't hold up the end of the bargain. I will hold up both ends of this agreement. I will be the one to pass between these pieces. I will be the one that will sacrifice in the end, my son to redeem everything that was shattered in the garden. It's I. And in verse 15 of chapter 17, the death of Jesus begins right here. It's sealed. Come on, that's awesome. That's awesome. But you sit there and go, oh no, check out this next verse. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. It does not say that God and Abram made a covenant. There's only one party that made it. Why is there only one party that made the covenant? Because there was only one party that walked through the cutting ceremony, and that was God. And God says, I will redeem everything. You are plan A. I will use you. My promises will come true in your life. Amidst the pressures that you're 75 and don't have a kid, my promises, I will hold up the end of my bargain. I will do it. And Abram's just on the side. So what in the world does that have anything to do with us? As I said before, no one really likes waiting. How many times have you given up on God because he didn't come in your time frame? You know how old Abram was before he had a son? He was 100. You do the math, simple math, that's 25 years of waiting on the promises of God. I can't wait 20 minutes for a cup of coffee. 25 years is a long time. And Abram had to wait. My question for you is, have you given up? Because God's not responding on your timeline. Have the pressures of life gotten to you where you're like, God, just show me a sign. I don't see you anywhere. Has the pressures of life gotten to you? 
If I could sum up everything, and yes, we are only through chapter 15. We've got four more weeks to put the entire rest of the Bible together. But we have to understand what is going on here in order to get the rest of the story. But I want to sum up everything. If I was to sum up, it would say this. You focus on the pressures of life, the promises of God will tend to fade. Focus on everything and the cloud in the midst and God, where are you? Focus on all the pressures of life. The promises of God will fade because your focus is on the pressures of life. But focus on the promises of God. The pressures of life will tend to fade. 25 years in waiting. He will eventually, Abram will eventually begin to focus on the promises of God and see God pull through. He'll see the great nation begin to take place. Abram will never see the great land. It will come through his descendants that get the great land, and he'll never see the great Messiah. He'll never get to see Jesus, but it's through his lineage it will play out. My question to you is what's your focus? God, where are you? There's too much pressure, fractured relationships. I, I don't handle money well. I just don't know where you are. Or is it, God, I know you're always there with me. Help me to focus on you, even though I don't like waiting. Let me pray for you. God, it's never easy to wait. But I know, God, you are a God that has your plan for our lives already in place. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us a spirit to follow and wait. That our eyes, no matter what, the circumstances of life that we're going through. The pressures are there like Abram. God, how are we to make a great nation when I have no kid? The pressures are real. The pressures in our life are real to us. May they never suck out your promises. May we always be reminded as your word says, that you are a God who is always there. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You are a God who loves us, who gives us grace, who gives us mercy, who forgives us when we screw things up over and over. You are our liberator. You are our provider. May we hold on to those promises and not the pressure of life. May we learn from Abram's story what it looks like to actually follow you and wait. And God, there are so many pressures of life just represented in this room this morning. Whatever we're going through in all of our walks of life, would you just remind us this week that you are bigger, that you are greater, that you have this. And your plan of restoring and redeeming and renewing everything that was broken in the garden is still in place no matter what we are facing in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the whole story of our faith can be so puzzling, can it? But that encouragement of knowing that God is a God of promises, whether we can see it or not, I think is something that allows us to 
to breathe out. So right now, I just want everyone to breathe in and then just breathe out and know that God is a God of promises. My name is Patricia. I'm the creative arts pastor here at Radiant Life. And at this time, we're going to take up our offering. So ushers, you can come forward. And when you walked in, we talked about that sheet of paper at the bottom is the connection card. If you didn't get a chance to fill that out, just take a moment and fill that out really quickly. You can put it in the offering plate when it passes by. If you're new here, though, remember, hold on to your connection card. You can bring it to our cafe. You can pick up a free gift and drink on us. Also, don't forget to circle that letter if you are interested in participating in digging deeper with Pastor Brandon. He just needs to know how many are going to be there so he can provide everything that he needs to provide for you. Uh, and if you're new here, too, know that you don't have to give. Don't feel pressured to give. We use the phrase, you can sit on your wallet. This is just a way for us as a church to give back and see what God can do with what we give back to him. That's what offering is. It's another way for us to worship and see how God can move. And he is moving. Let me pray for you all. God, we do thank you that you are a God of promises, that you are a God who provides even when we can't see it, that you are a God who is present and constant and a God who moves that you are a God of patience even when we're not, that you are a God of faithfulness when we're not. We pray that you would just use these gifts to further what you're doing here at Radiant Life and here in the community of Sturgis and beyond. We thank you again for your promises and for all that you've done and all that you will do. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.